And good morning, listeners, and welcome to Friday Breakfast and Green Left Radio program. In the studio, we have Laita Chalaya. Jacob Anjwafa. There you go. So three of us are here to blast the airwaves, and we've got a full, full program today. As usual. <clears throat> yes, and lots of things happening, especially the elections and everything going on, and of course the march. And we will talk about the anti-racism march a little bit more, and we've got the organizer of the march um, joining us later on. In the meantime, we'll, well one of the organizers, not the organizer, because it was never really uh, the organizer. Yes, yeah. Jake, thank you for the correction. <laughs> <laughs> Very precise. That's good. All right, let's go. News. Oh. So, um, many of um, probably heard there's been a lot of um, petitions and um, a big, well, it's actually a camp, um, well, it's actually something that's really taken off, but many um, have heard that um, there's been a sort of McCarthy kind of witch hunt on a, a res- um, respected um, Melbourne ac- academic and one of the co founders of the Safe School Programs, um, Rose Ward. Um, she has been suspended from her job at La Trobe University, um, at La Trobe University um, just recently, and, it w- and um, you'll find it incredible. It was over a private Facebook post um, which criticised the Australian flag as it's racist. It's so appalling, isn't it, what they're doing? Well, it's, yeah, as, as, as Jacob said, it's, um, it's the, um, a class, classical McCarthy's tactic. Absolutely yes. McCarthy. And, um, well, ba- all, all really um, that she said was completely a private message. It's yeah. not, not the subject of the pro- um, um Basically, she made a joke about how, uh, well, it's not even a joke, really. I think it's true. I agree with you. That's what she said. So. Um, so um, she joked, um, she said, now we just need um, under a photograph of, a, of the gay and lesbian flag flying under, above um, Victorian um, Parliament. Miss Ward said, now we j- on Facebook, now we just need to get rid of the racist Australian flag on top of the state parliament and get a red one up there and my work is done. That was <laughs> literally the post. Big deal. That got, and um, and ba- in response, um, Lashrobe, um, yeah, basically sus- well, basically made up these sort of reasons that um, Rose Ward apparently... They have five reasons. Five reasons. Um, <laughs> five reasons. It's appalling the way they've explained. Oh, she has um, offended the funding agency of the Safe Schools Project. Um, yeah. So Latrobe will get less money. Yeah. So, well, Latrobe um, was ha- um, handed down a letter to Mrs. Ward and basically um, claims... Um, Mr. or Mrs.? Claim Mrs. 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 Ward, yeah. Um, claimed that um, A... Um, Mrs. Ward's conduct can, um, is a undermined public confidence in the safe schools program by undermining public confidence in you as a researcher and a, as a person associated with the safe schools program. B damages the reputation of the safe schools program and it aligns the safe schools program with views which have nothing to do with the program and its message and content. C has required members of the Victorian government to take up their time in defending the safe schools program rather than be positive advocates for the Safe Schools program. D has required senior staff in, at the university to take up their time in defending the Safe Schools program rather than be positive advocates for the Safe Schools program. They shouldn't be wasting their time. Uh, and, yeah, E, the last reason is draw your colleague, drawn your colleagues into the negative publicity around Safe Schools, and this has impacted on their ability to continue with their research in a safe environment. So, Very good, very creative reasons, aren't they? Well, um... Just my interpretation of these reasons there. Basically, it just says to me that um, Lashrobe is, you know, unable to sort of, you know, cave in. Well, basically, they can't accept the kind of pressure from the murder. Basically, um, 
the Murdoch press has been sort of all up in arms about on a kind of witch hunt over over these um, Facebook comments. And um, but the NTEU, National Territory Education Union, has um, absolutely condemned um, um, the Shrove University for um, for this for this action and says that you know why why, why is it that we um, that you know, political views should be a criteria um, for you know employment. You know, what about you know freedom of you know speech and academic freedom <laughs> and discussion and 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 freedom of, freedom of discussion as well. This um, well, but it hasn't just been the National Tertiary Education Union. Uh, it's also uh, well, the Victorian Trade Trade Hall Council has also uh, come up firmly behind uh, uh, Ross. Good, as have as, as, as so many students and. Uh, uh, students and teachers right across um, universities in, Austra- in Australia, and I've even seen uh, support coming from other from uh, other countries. Um, so this, so. this is appalling. I mean, what right has an employer to to snoop around your private life? It's it's, it's a separation from uh, your your you know from the work part of your life in your private life. As long as you're not beating somebody up and, and being a criminal, mm. you have freedom of movement and speech. It's none of the Latrobe's uh, business, uh, what's mm. the political views Ross um, subscribes to. Yep. It's got nothing to do with it. But what's even worse is the fact that you have this, this class war, really. You've got the, the ruling class using the power of money and funding to control the workers in that particular university. That is, that's what's happening. It's just like the beat up with the, with the anti-racism march we'll talk about later. But this is the agency that's receiving funding from this organization. I think it's just a state government, really. The state government, what's wrong with the state government? You know, they, they're going to, they claim they want to sign a treaty with the Aboriginal people. What's different about this? It's a different point of view. You know, mm. they should keep the nose out of people's private lives. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's none of their bloody business. It's as simple as that. Well, um, since then, one of the responses, um, basically, a mother, um, you know, posted a story about Ros Ward, you know, to defend um, her. Um, basically, you know, saying that um, the summary of the story I won't even go into the long detail was that um, Rose Ward, um, as a professional, supported her daughter. Um, her daughter in her trans in her transition, yeah. Yeah. and. Um, it, there was no political views were never brought up. He, um, she always acted uh, like a professional and based well, based, the kind of argument um, that the Murdoch media is trying to make, which is a false one, is that ultimately these political views actually I don't even think they're problematic political views yeah. to have exactly. Yeah. Um, but the problem is they try to argue that these political views are uh, impact on her ability as a professional, and that's the sort of ideological line that they're trying to, um, to aim for, which is... See, this, this parallels with the view. Was Australia invaded or was it settled? That's, that's the crux of the matter. Mm-hmm. What Ross was expressing is it was invaded, therefore it's racist. I reckon at the end they actually has nothing to do with the flag or with that comment. This is just an excuse. This is just an excuse to remove the most, that's what, uh, vocal, that's what it is. The most vocal activist against uh, homof- homophobia in schools. Well, yes. for, for the record, Rosewad was already the subject of attacks um, in Murdoch um, media previously because um, she was um, associated with um, the socialist attorney 
active and was an, a political activist. Um, they've, and the fact that she, um, that um, the government, um, no, the conservative um, Murdoch press has been attacking safe schools. Yes. They've been looking for every yes. single angle they can go for. That's and true. this and, is true. And Victoria has been, has gone out on a limited, it, it will not, uh, came into the uh, federal coalition government. That's right. Their alterations or modifications because that fellow from Queensland, that Mike Wing guy, what's the name, who supports the UPF um, and his gang, the extreme right wing, Christensen, that's his name, um, yeah. were attacking the Safe Schools program. But Victoria went on a limb and supported it. And this has become, uh, you know, a point of a wedge in for Murdoch. But let's move on. Other news, guys? Yep. Well, um, in the re- and another news, um, the coal in. This is an article from The Age about um, a Coles deal with, you know, the STA, um, saying, you know, this is a moment of great shame um, for Australians outing union Munich and for one of this uh, country's most significant companies. Um, Australia's largest private sector union, the Shop Distribution Allied Union Employees Association, has been called out, the SCA. Um, ten... Basically, they've um, traded off. Um, penalty, they basically traded off um, penalty rates and casual loadings of runnable, low-paid workers in exchange. What the union has made, in many cases, for barely a handful of coins in extra hourly pay, and as a result, you know, tens of thousands of workers are worse off as a consequence. Um, and um, so. Essentially, the SCA has basically made a deal with Coles to make their workers worse off. Another one. <laughs> well, uh, it hasn't quite well. Uh, well, but that's not, that, that's sort of quite, it's not quite true for lower workers in Queensland, uh, thanks to the, thanks to the recent win by Duncan Hart against uh, against again against the Coles ruling. Basically, because for, for those who don't know, Duncan Duncan Hart is a delegate um, in the SDA in Brisbane in Coles and. Who has uh, vigorously fought against the uh, the calls the, the brokered SDA uh, calls deal in the state last uh, for or throughout the last uh, year, and who was actually fu- who was actually removed from his uh, uh, from his position for speaking up against 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 the ruling, and just actually just this Tuesday just this Tuesday just this Tuesday he won his case against uh, calls, which now which, which now which now means that there was seventy thousand I think it was seventy thousand. Which, which now puts the 70,000 calls workers um, in Queensland who have previously had a rotten deal. Now, it now uh, um, there's now a possibility of actually reversing, uh, actually, actually re- re- reversing the um, um, uh, the EBA that was negotiated uh, previously. Uh, for those who don't know, the whole idea the whole idea was to get rid of the get rid of overtime uh, overtime pay on and um, evening and night. And night shifts in exchange for a an increase in the overall sort of average pay for the workers, which was which would which basi- basically make them so much more uh, far, uh, far more worse off than they than they were before. Mm. But um, but uh, give two take five. Okay. <laughs> well, they kind of um right that that whole story that positive May story does kind of raise a question of like, you know, because um, the age in this article are actually arguing that, you know, workers would be better off not joining the SDA, yet mm-hmm. would have Duncan been able to sort of, um, you know, mm. t- um, get take that action without being a member of the union? Because one one of the other critique of um, the um, the SDA is that they, um, the benefit that SDA 
um, of the, of the SCA, you know, striking these, you know, these really terrible deals that affect workers is that, you know, the bosses are all too happy to actually have them on site and have them sign up their memory members, unlike, say, a lot of our, um, um, a lot of other, some of the other unions where, um, bosses are completely, or try every effort to not have an organizer or, or work on like or the NUW, like the like the National Union of Workers. That's a really good example, especially in especially in Queensland. Yeah, well, the, it kind of comes up to the question: to should should um, un, should committed unionists still organise within the so-called yellow unions within within the within the unions that are actually mm. actually actually built to to to, to collaborate with the, with companies. Yeah. Um, well, I think <clears throat> my my sort of opinion, just from the knowledge I sort of have, I think it's still it's still best, I think, to be a member of the of yeah. these unions than not, because of, clearly I think the problem um, with these unions is not is the fact that they have a very conservative leadership, mm. um, especially the SCA, which yes. um, has is um, has played sort of a, uh, one being one of the influences that has prevented. Apparently, well, that has prevented um, um, the cat um, it's, has used its number to sign, like you know, block social policy change such as ma- marriage equality, mm, mm. Um, because generally um, the SCA leadership is yeah. very conservative. Yes, yes, no, that's true. <coughs> uh, but uh, the grassroots, but there's the grassroots is, or actually the majority of membership is almost, is almost completely disconnected from the leadership. Yeah, you know, it's the, especially like you know, if we think if we think about SDA, we're thinking about uh, vast majority of them being very uh, young people, teenagers, uh, you know, usually or the guys in the or the guys who just going to the university. Who, who obviously who 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 would certainly have much more much more progressive views on social issues. Yeah. Well, I guess um, I guess the question is how can we get the, those mm. sort of um, those how many well imagine it would be thousands of mm. unengaged SEA messi- um, yes. members to sort of um, ta- get together and take collective yes. action. Okay. Yes. I was. Um, uh, during the recent Stick Together program, I was, I was actually talking to Josh Cullion. He's, he, uh, he was um, uh, part of Duncan Hart's team, and he's actually the one who helped to research and find out about the uh, the rotten deal in the first place. Mm. Um, it's uh, and I think uh, sort of the one thing uh, me and him agreed on was that uh, like the, the 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 trade union movement as a whole needs to needs to start taking note of the note note of this and mm. the, the the great the great trade union the, the greater trade union movement needs to um uh well begin uh, needs to begin pressuring yeah. the SD, the, the SDN into becoming more more of a, more of a proper union mm. rather than leaving it in the hands of uh, you know the old conservative uh, elite that's, yeah. that has occupied mm. the leadership post Right, so I think there'll be a good sort of note to come to end, close that up. Um, yes, and we have, um, have Peter Rodema who is a Aboriginal elder, leader, <laughs> and um, don't laugh, I'm t- talking about you, Peter. <laughs> and he used to be in charge of 3KND, and now he's yes. working for the legal services. Welcome to 3TR, Peter. Yes, good morning. Yes. <laughs> nice to have you on, on online. And we've got a few things we want to, to wade through this morning. Um, 
firstly, the, the fact that it was solidly not long ago, I think last week, and we yeah. also had um, the National Reconciliation Week, and today is Mabo Day. Mm-hmm. And that's, there's a lot to talk about, but we've got 15 minutes. We can squeeze all that into one. But importantly, it's also recognizing that um, community radio has been very valuable in, in helping communities bring issues to the public. And you've been um, working in 3, 3KND for a long time, which is the Aboriginal Radio, which is fantastic, and it's in Preston. And uh, what we are looking at is community radio is under attack. So um, that's all the issues you want to cover, Peter. How do you? How are you placed? <laughs> Where do you want to start? <laughs> well, um, I suppose uh, I was a station manager at Three K and D up until two years ago. Yep. And uh, uh, yeah, now I'm working at the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service mm-hmm. as Community Justice Programs Manager there. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Like I, I still uh, am involved with 3K and D. I uh, do a reggae show every Thursday or uh, Saturday afternoon. Yes, it's a wonderful so, program. Um, yes, yeah, so I sort of um, still have a, uh, an input there. But uh, I mean, when you look at uh, the community radio, it's uh, uh, it's a, a format, I suppose, that gets uh, out to the community, uh, and uh, but it also you know informs community. On, uh, on issues that are impacting on, on them, on our communities, whether it be, you know, Aboriginal communities or, or mainstream communities or, you know, ethnic communities. Uh, they, they have uh, community radio, uh, I suppose, uh, you know, uh, uh, provides a lot of information to, you know, uh, people who would, would not necessarily have a voice, I would yes. think, yeah. Yes, it, it, it's um, uninhibited um, as opposed to the mainstream media, which is very selective about what news and information they bring to the public and is usually uh, news that is supportive to the ruling class or the bosses, really, isn't it? And they're racist, as far as I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> yes, well, you know, like uh, um, mainstream radio, if you can call that... Uh, not, um, called commercial radio. Yes. Uh, is uh, um, is uh, you know uh, they have their policies uh, directed by you know uh, uh, people who own them really, mm. and uh, and that's uh, you know a minority, but a very rich minority, a very influential minority, and to get uh, you know like. Uh, um, information out to a community that's uh, like such as uh, you know treaties, such as land rights, you know, uh, um, and uh, all, all those uh, issues that are impacting on uh, communities, or especially when I talk about Aboriginal communities at the moment. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there's the, we would uh, definitely have uh, um, wouldn't be able to do that on commercial radio. Hmm. And it's, it's so, so yeah. Sorry, oh, sorry. Uh, so, so community radio is a very important, uh, uh, um, a very important, uh, um, I suppose, uh, uh, vehicle mm. Mm. for, uh, uh, for, uh, uh, as I said, for, for getting out uh, uh, information about a whole, uh, whole range of uh, uh, issues yes. uh, uh, impacting on our communities. Yeah. Mm. Mm. 
uh, while you're talking about community radios, I should let um, listeners know that is um, we are having a campaign in defence of community radios, and mm-hmm. the the current government has not committed to maintaining the current levels of funding for to, to support digital transmission for community digital radio services, and those who are interested. In fact, we'll encourage everyone to be interested. Uh, go to the website, uh, the, all the W's, keep community radio, all in one word, dot org, dot au, and there's a petition there for people to sign. But Peter, I just, oh, okay. yep, yeah. and that'll help keep all community radios, um, going. Uh, we do our fun, own fundraising, but that will be a very important, uh, way of sending a message to the government that there are enough people out here who wish to keep the community radio in air and um, we want you know the government to support it yes yes mm. it's, a, it's a very uh, it's a very it's a very good cause i uh, i when i was uh, at 3 knd i know there was a uh, 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 even though digital radio uh, i suppose it just commenced really uh, when i was there but there was also at the same time a push by government then to uh, uh, to, uh, um, I suppose, uh, stop funding the digital radio component of community radios. Uh, and digital radio really is the way to go. This, you know, the, in the, this time, uh, because a lot of people have, uh, are getting onto it, and yes. a lot of people are, you know, because of the clarity and because of, you know, a number of things, but the cost uh, to a community uh, radio to ch- try and raise funds to keep that... Uh, that component of, of their uh, service going is uh, a pretty uh, pretty expensive one, mm. and and it does need uh, you know uh, uh, it does need that uh, support from government to uh, to ensure that uh, community radio is still up with the times. Um, there's only so much funding that uh, you know uh, uh, as and as you said uh, a lot of uh, our funding comes from uh, Donations, you could say, or, or seeking, uh, uh, um, um, you know, uh, support from sponsors. Mm. Uh, but uh, that's, uh, you know, when we talk about community radio, we're talking about community people, and community people don't have that much money. Mm. Yes, <laughs> if, right. If you could, say, you know, if you could say that. Uh, so, uh, and as I said before, like the, the digital radio component of all community radios. Uh, is uh, a fairly expensive uh, endeavour, and the government needs to uh, uh, ensure that uh, you know uh, the alternative to commercial radio has the same access uh, to resources as as commercial radio. Mm. Especially with taxpayers' money, we pay the tax, and we want them to use it in a particular way. And I think we are, you know, entitled to tell them this is what we want you to do with our tax money. Don't you think? That's right, yes. Mm. Yeah, it, it, uh, as you say, we pay taxes. Yep. We vote for uh, our, our politicians to get in. Yes. Uh, and uh, we should, uh, and, and uh, community radio, from what I can gather, is a, is a growing, uh, uh, it's always growing, uh, especially, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in rural areas. Yes. Uh, where, where there's a lot of, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, a similar thing too, uh, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, uh, who aren't able to access the, the commercial component of, of, of radio in rural areas, uh, 
do have a, have a voice, you know, to hear their problems on community radio. Mm. And in Northern Territory, the, the community has a, a big radio um, access, doesn't it? Yes, they, they do. I mean, if you look at the remote areas, um, uh, you know, there's remote area sort of uh, resource up there uh, that uh, involves, uh, you know, like, uh, um, you know, like, uh, um, I suppose, uh, what do you call them, services, mm-hmm. radio services, uh, that, that, are, uh, uh, that are sort of uh, uh, geared towards... Uh, the communities up there, like, and, and I mean, uh, what is near towards communities that, uh, you know, programs are uh, are delivered in the languages of the people up mm. there. Mm. Now, in, in commercial radio, that wouldn't be done, and there would be a lot of people, in, especially in those areas, mm. uh, not being able to understand what the what the issues are, or not being able to put their issues out. Yes. In the community. Yeah. Mm. Yes. And also the fact that they live so far apart in the rural communities, as you say. Radio is probably the only means of um, access to news and see what's happening at the moment, um, especially in the community with all the activity up in the Northern Territory in relation to the community, uh, what the government mm. decisions are and how they're going to intervene in the communities, isn't it? Yes, yes. And, you know, like... Uh and getting that information out to communities and, and, and giving the communities an opportunity to to understand from uh, uh, from their point of view what uh, what the issues are, mm. you know, mm. and, most, uh, and, and how it will impact on them. Yeah. It, it allows the community to run the radio by themselves too. I know that a lot of the uh, your, your brothers and, and your community members up there are very active, and I've heard some of the news items they did put forward. Their news is absolutely brilliant. They were very professionally done. It's amazing quality radio in Northern Territory. And, and 3K and D2, you use a lot of yes. their productions, don't you? Yes, yes, and also uh, Queensland too as well. Mm, of course, yes. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, and uh, you know, uh, uh, New South Wales and Sydney. There, there's uh, you know, there's uh, quite a few, uh, quite a number of, uh, and we've got WA, yes. Western Australia, South Australia. Um, you know, the, um, uh, you know, it gets, it gets, it keeps the community informed, not only on, you know, the, the sort of federal or state issues that are impacting on them, but also, you know, like uh, activities, events. Uh, uh, or issues on a local level that uh, you know that, that, that we can uh, relate to. Mm. And I know that um, from my experience, since I work at the Victorian Amateur Health Service, there are a lot of health campaigns that are uh, advertised through the radio, and and they invite people from all different organisations to explain what their campaigns are all about, and so on. So it is preventive health, um, you know, c- keeping that part of um, health going too. Yes, yes, you know it's. Uh, it's uh, like as I said before. It's, it's a way of uh, informing the community on, on issues that are impacting on them, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's a very vital, I suppose, uh, service to the community too, as well. Hmm. Lastly, but not least, um, Peter, you want to say a few words about Marble Day or Reconciliation Week before we end the interview? Oh well, uh, like Marbo Day, uh, Marbo uh, Day honours. Uh, 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 a man that uh, you know uh, significantly changed law, I suppose, in in Australia, uh, and uh, you know had uh, uh, the 
doctrine of Terranalius, uh, you know, uh, refuted in some areas of, uh, of the country, uh, but uh, had native title recognised uh, for Aboriginal people. Uh, some people may think that uh, native title, you know, is good. Other people uh, don't uh, because it's uh, part of Australian property law. And uh, uh, some of our people think, uh, you know, well, that uh, uh, we uh, still have to have our sovereignty recognised mm. in all, all the different nations of uh, our, uh, on this continent. Uh, and, uh, you know, a treaty should be struck with each and every different uh, nation, that's my belief. Um, so uh, in one way, it, uh, you know, it's, uh, it highlights a significant event in Australian uh, uh, in Australian history, as far as, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, recognition of uh, Aboriginal native title and uh, refuting the doctrine, doctrine of terra nullius, uh, you know, in some areas. But as I said, it refutes it in some areas, not all areas. Uh, and uh, one would assume, uh, by saying that then, that uh, the doctrine of terra nullius still uh, exists in other areas of Australia. That's right. <laughs> But a great step towards uh, the process of discussing the treaty, and that discussion started um, this early this week, didn't it? Which is an amazing yeah. step. Yes, look, uh, and when you talk about Reconciliation Week, well, you know, a lot of our people don't uh, um, <laughs> uh, don't recognise, uh, well, <laughs> uh, uh, refute Reconciliation Week because it's... Uh, That's right. Um, I think back in the day it was uh, uh, Bob Hawke, uh, I think at Barunga, said that uh, we would have a treaty with Aboriginal people. Yes. And he put his foot in it because uh, a treaty <laughs> uh, is um, uh, uh, a document or, or a pact between two sovereign nations. <laughs> yes. And, and the other thing is, you know, reconciliation way, you can, you can you reconcile things if you have equal power. And <laughs> when you don't have equal power, how do you reconcile anything? Well, the other thing too is reconciliation week is not uh, reconciliation is not treaty. Yes. You, you see what I mean? Yes. So uh, uh, really, it only goes to recognise, uh, you know. Well, I don't know what it does really. Uh, it's uh, meant to be a recognition of uh, one culture and an acknowledgement of one culture, and uh, it, it, it reciprocates that. Think uh, that's what reconciliation is about. Yep. Uh, but uh, you know, and when I talked about um, Bob Hawke and his treaty comment that's basically the end result of that treaty comment yes because that uh, he understood that, well people understood that you can't have a, a, tre a treaty here without being people because they're not sovereign nations as yes. they call that's yes. uh, the, the mainstream thinking mm. we still recognise our sovereignty yep. in the different uh, areas so uh, you know uh, it went down a compact from then and then went to reconciliation. So basically that's where reconciliation started off in the first place. Yes. In Bob Hawke's uh, initial treaties, from my belief. Hmm. So uh, uh, as far as reconciliation and reconciliation week, uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, there are there's still uh, events about it, but uh, uh, the, the push has been and always will be, and, and, and it is gaining... Uh, um, uh, recognition, I suppose. That's where you can do the recognition part. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the treaty is, uh, you know, pe people's fight for a treaty is still uh, there and it's, and it's, it's coming out now. Well, I so guess... You to have a treaty, you've got to have recognition of uh, Aboriginal sovereignty. That's exactly right. As I, I always think, you know, reconciliation is a white fellow agenda and treaty is a black fellow agenda. 
That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank and you so much, Peter. Been. Yeah. No worries. Okay. okay. Thanks, Peter. No worries. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right. All hands on deck. Um, we have... Um, I think we'll go to a break first. Yeah, yeah? Yes, a bit of a break. You are listening to Green Left Radio on the Friday morning breakfast show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio 855 AM digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Green Left Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. Okay, we have in the studio, folks, um, Chloe Beaton, who's one of the organising committee members of the anti-racism uh, rally in Coburg last week, which has which seems to have stirred up a lot of attention in the bourgeois media, so to speak, especially the Herald Sun. But let's, you know, pull it apart and see what actually uh, went on. Mm. Chloe, welcome, and thank you for coming at this early in the morning to the studio. (laughs) Um, What did the march actually uh, start off to achieve? What were the demands? Maybe we start with that. Well, we started organising in February for our um, Moreland Says No to Racism rally. Um, we had the free demands, which is the things that we saw as issues that Australian society today faces um, in regards to racism. So I think the most important thing about the rally was the fact that it was a proactive rally. It wasn't reacting against something in particular. It was reacting against what we saw as racism in Australia today. So when we thought about it, we, de- we decided that the three demands would be uh, to stop the forced closures of Aboriginal communities and a treaty now. The second was to close Manus and Nauru and to let the refugees in Australia and to be processed in the community. And then the third demand was in regards to um, stopping Islamophobia and the demonisation of the Muslims in our community. And in terms of... Um Closing down um, Aboriginal communities. I think that one, the, the Aboriginal school in Glenroy w- w- was in particular um, relevant to the Mullen City Council. So that would have uh, created a lot of kerfuffle in the community as well. And there was a campaign that was being run to save that school, or at least the site of the school, for community use after they shut the school down. So it has direct relevance to that council. That's right. And you had the broader um, uh, calls as well. So what happened? <laughs> So what we were expecting was for a community rally, which would be actually involving the Coburg community. Yes. Um, And we were hoping to have, you know, between, say, 500 to 1,000 people attend, which was quite a large size for a community rally. Um, And we were hoping to have music and children's activities and really just representing all the different groups that represent Moreland community. And um, the the fear mongering started towards the few days before the rally, didn't it? After then, there was no hassle. Everybody was fine. You've been playing for months. There's no problem with it. No, and we just got um, endorsing organisations after endorsing organisations. We had so much support, um, and it was because we organised so well. Like yeah. it was it was months of organising. 
So um, as we kept on getting more um, groups endorsing our rally, we just kept on thinking it's going to be really big and it's going to be like a fun day. Yes. We really wanted it to be a fun day in the Moreland community. So the fear-mongering really started about, um, it was about a month before when we started getting uh, news that the, um, that the fascists might appear. But then two, two weeks before the rally, the police started a, um, a, mm. a fear-mongering campaign telling not only the traders but local residents not to come and, and that it was not a child-friendly rally. Yeah, and, and in, in the end, um, I was at the rally and what I observed was there were 300 cops on site mm. and there were about, what, 20, 30 even if you, if, you had, mm-hmm. if you had 60, um, you know, young white men who wanted to tear each other's eyes mm-hmm. out or something, they could have isolated those groups. Absolutely. And I know in Bendigo, when there was this, this UPF appearance and all this, you know, kerfuffle about um, the right and left uh, clashing and nonsense, what the cops did there, this is my, uh, one of my girlfriends was up there and she's a Bendigo resident. Mm-hmm. She said they did it beautifully. They separated the group. They didn't allow them to meet. But I was watching a video the other day and uh, someone's taken a mobile phone. The cops actually allowed the groups to meet. And I found that really appalling. It's almost like they could have encouraged it knowingly or unknowingly. Mm-hmm. And therefore the two groups met and they, there was, it was on. And, and the fact that the traders were the ones who were being interviewed in most of the uh, media saying, oh, we lost money. But none of them actually talk about the 500 people who mm-hmm. at the rally who actually had coffee in the area. They had lunch because the, the rally went over lunchtime. They had enormous amount mm-hmm. of people buying stuff. I'm wondering, well, you know, you've got to have a balanced report. Well, I think that this kind of um, <clears throat> concentration on traders... Uh, again, shows where, I mean, we're talking about a democratic right to protest. We're talking about a really important issue in Australian society, which is racism. Racism is growing and growing and growing. The fact we've got fascists coming to an anti-racism rally that was supposed to be a family-friendly, kid-friendly, fun day, it just shows. Why are we talking about traitors? Yep. Yep. Well, um, one thing I've just been, just been from reading um, the kind of mainstream media, there's been actually kind of like, you know, two sides that the sort of mainstream media take. The one line um, of the Herald Sun is basically um, basically condemning the, the whole rally and basically saying that both sides are equally, you know, you know um, basically as bad as each other. And um, it also goes into sort of, um, you know, fear-mongering about, you know, you know, the police need more powers to stop these protests. And it's all really on the side of the, you know, the police. And, um, and of course, the Herald Sun is also, and the Murdoch Press is also kind of being known for, like, you know, legitimising, you know, far-right, um, sort of far-right kind of racist ideas, um, because essentially the Daily Telegraph has always been, uh, and the Murdoch Press always sort of, like, presents kind of really racist ideas and then which legitimizes these sort of far right groups. The other side of um the argument which is from the Fairfax media in the age, the age takes a sort of a more wishy washy kind of line to um to the protest and it basically in an article on the age it basically victim blamed um what the organized conflict, Sue Bolton especially, and basically said, Oh, Sue Bolton had a responsibility to call off the rally because um, she invited the violence in by organising a, a protest, uh, which is, of course, I'm sure you have a lot to say, Chloe, but uh, it's problematic because 
um, why should you know the um, a far right counter demonstrating us um, deter us from actually organising protests? Because you know, if we didn't organise, if we called off the protest, do you think the far right would have just stopped counter protests? Would have yeah. stopped, stopped their protest? Because you know they organised from my, from what the information they organised a a whole bus trip from Melton and Bendigo. I mean, look, again, I think it's um, why are we talking about... what it, It's what we're concentrating on. So we're not... Concent- and actually, there was hardly any mention of our rally. I would like to call our rally the Friendly Front. We had a Friendly Front. We had a really good group of solid four to 500 people who were there and representing the community. That is our democratic right. Now, this, all this stuff about we're going to, we're going to uh, cancel the rally, first of all, that's dangerous because we actually had already called people to come to the library... So I wouldn't want to, like, leave people by themselves without a marshalling plan, without the support of, you know, a group of other people to, to look after them. So that, that was a dangerous thing to start with. That was a very dangerous plan. Um, we've even got, you know, people from the Moreland Council saying we should have cancelled the rally. Well, they endorsed the rally, so I'm not sure about this backflip. When you've actually endorsed a rally, you've, it's also then up to that, you know, to support us and to make sure it's safe. Um, and what would have happened had we counselled it? And I'm, sh- I'm sure the fascists would have turned up in um, Coburg anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I want to take up the question of victim blaming. It's really interesting because <coughs> I like to compare it to how women are attacked. Like, you know, I'm fighting racism, and I would express my opposition to racism. Therefore, I'm, I have a right to protest, and I'm protesting. But you're telling me I shouldn't protest because you fear the right wing will come there and attack whoever. So you're telling, if you put that in the scenario of women, that if a woman dresses in a particular way, she invites um, attacks on her. Mm. That's the parallel. You cannot, you know, you've you got to think these things through. What does it really mean? And every one of those people, including some of the councillors in Moreland City Council, uh, are on the, you know, on the nose, really, when, mm. you, when you think about it, because they're attacking Sue because this is an opportunity to attack her for whatever unknown reason they have behind it. But this was an opening for them. But the reality is, hats off to Sue Bolton, who actually um, bit the bullet and organized it, and she was the one who's been very involved with saving the school in Glenroy, the right. school. Mm-hmm. And this, this was a flow-on from that uh, mm-hmm. campaign. And uh, we have to say that, you know, um, the community that turned out, the 60 organisations that endorsed the rally, was fantastic support. And it's probably the first time that such a thing has been organised in Moreland. And the cops and the council have to look at how they can provide safe passage for people who want to protest. No, that's right. And uh, look, again, I just think this uh, victim blaming of Sue Bolton is uh, missing the point totally. Who actually organised it? I mean, Sue initiated it, and it was actually three middle-aged women sitting around a coffee table organising it, you know? So this kind Good of idea... idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was members of, of the, the uh, community. Of the community. Yeah. Now, the, the fact that, you know, me and Maureen, we aren't actually mentioned. It's, not, it's only Sue. Yes. But actually, we're talking about residents of Moreland who organised this rally and who attended it. It was mainly mm-hmm. from Moreland. Who was the counter-protesters? Were they from Orland? Was no, there anyone no, from no. there from Orland? No. Hmm. Well, another another thing in terms of like the aftermath of the rally is um, basically um, the it's and from how you know the police statement after the rally, 
um, essentially the police have been, uh, you know, trying to push and lobby for basically um, new laws which give them more police powers. And essentially the power would be to, you know, basically arrest people wearing masks at a rally. Despite the fact that um, Rob Starry, a prominent sort of defence um, lawyer, um, um, states already that... Uh, oh, sorry. That, that. Um, Victoria law, you know, already appears to cover this. Basically, Section 49C of the Victorian Summary Offences Act states that a person must not, with unlawful intent, be disguised or have a blackened face or have an article of disguise in his or her possession. What the police, you know, uh, are essentially arguing for is they want the right to arrest someone without having to prove unlawful intent because the law already allows them to arrest people wearing masks if they can prove without a doubt, that they have unlawful intent. Like, for example, a bank robbery, yeah. for example. It's, it, that's a, clearly someone who's going to perform a bank robbery is um, performing, is going to commit, a, using a mask to commit unlawful intent. Um, and um, it was quite revealing that the police um, at, um, statement following the rally, um, she, um, they basically said um, on ABC that it was a riot. And that's mm-hmm. completely... Um, out of sync with the actual road because there was actually a sort of second dem- mm. sort of second direction, basically a group of sort of anti-racism activists um, split off from the rally to counter the, the fascists. Mm. But from all the video footage, it seems that the only kind of violence that was there was literally two minutes. Um, mm. That is hardly a riot. Mm. It is mm. completely mm. a mischaracterisation to con- call it a riot. There's more violence at a we- at the weekend mm. on a, at a pub, mm. and that doesn't t- and that is not a national and that does not become national hysteria. And, mm. and to me, the fact that they make a sort of hysteria out of two minutes of scuffling is really the political kind of context. They That's want right. the this whole issue of um, you know. Anti-racism is highly politicised. They don't the the bourgeois media and bourgeois don't want people protesting on the streets about these issues to call That's the right. government. They, they say, and they especially don't want um, they don't want people in outer communities to start getting organised. Mm. No, that's right, Jacob. And look, I mean, I think the message from the mainstream media is um, basically you've got no democratic right to protest. Um, we've got no democratic right to protect ourselves from fascists. We've got no democratic right to, um, to turn up to a rally with our, cover, our faces covered. It's just lose, 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 lose for the community what they're, what they're um, spreading. And, you know, the journalists have got to take some responsibility for what they're saying. I mean, it's really been, it has been a bit of a witch hunt for Sue Bolton. And like, as Lalitha said, hats off to her. She organised a fantastic, almost groundbreaking, when has this happened before? With a community-spirited anti-racism rally, you know, just straight off the bat, we're saying, we've got racism in Australia, this is what it is, we've got demands. When has that happened before? That's right. And she's a member of Socialist Alliance too. Hats off to Sue Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess uh, probably the reason why um, the the Murdoch media hasn't actually targeted um, you or Maureen, um, <laughs> Chloe, is the fact that Sue Bolton is a socialist. A socialist, socialist and that's, that's yeah. fundamental issue. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely been, right. This whole this whole this whole past week has been the Bash the Socialist Week. Yeah. <laughs> it has been, hasn't it? Exactly. From Roz to Sue. Who yes. next? God. Probably <laughs> Zane. Probably Zane. <laughs> well, I mean, and it is, um, it's coming from the fascists, though. That's the thing. So this kind of ideology is coming from the fascists, and then the, the mainstream media are picking it up and running with it. Hmm. Yeah, but that's a state agenda, too. It's a capitalist world, yeah. we live, and it's attack from the, the capitalists 
and is being used. Um, why, like if, if you look at the media, right, the police and the media have um, hand in hand run this campaign three days down the track. It's still appearing in the mm. bloody papers. <laughs> and there's also, I think, there is a, um, a, a, a camouflage agenda. You know, how does this apply to Muslim women who want to cover their face? Mm. You know, it, it, people are, the, the women are worried. You know, this is all right. This is how we, we function mm. in my community, in my culture, or whatever it is. Um, that's a choice. You know, you wouldn't go and tell a nun, take out your habit in the middle of a street, would you? Because mm. that is, you know, covering your identity or whatever it is. But mm. you would you would try mm. and slip that agenda yes. under this radar so that you can, you know, intimidate the Muslim community. Is, is, is Islamophobia? Well, I, think, I think previously um, there was um, actually an attempt to ban the burqa in parliament. Um, I think the um, rationalisation, well, this is just racism, but the ra- I'll just talk about the ra- um, rationalisation anyway. I think the rationalisation was that um, if you allowed a bur- someone with a burqa to come to parliament, they'll hide a bomb under it, they'll be able to commit a terrorist attack. And, and you kind of see this whole propaganda about terrorism anyway. Just uh, on, on the station, there's a whole big ad about how if, if, you, if something doesn't add up, and it's like a picture of kind of like a terrorist. Um, you should report it to that. You should report it to national security, despite yeah. the fact there really is in Australia there really is uh, a kind of a very very statistically low chance of 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 a, of a terrorist attack. And okay, actually mo- most li- actually likely um, there's more likely to be terrorist sort um, sort of activity from you know far right white supremacist groups. Right. Exactly. And of course. This really kind of like, you know, this whole thing about the rally actually reveals kind of like the inherent racism. Um, if they, imagine if they saw far-right protesters were Islamic fundamentalists, they would not be allowed on the streets. They would be arrested. Absolutely. Right before street. the rally even started. Like, the computers the, have been taken away, the homes have been invaded. Exactly. <laughs> It's a, uh, it's just a terrible. I mean, I was, as, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, this bloody parliament banned women from breastfeeding in parliament because the baby is not a member of parliament. This is how paranoid these people are. Can you imagine them trying to even address and and you know realistically talk about it, honestly talk about the issues of racism, as opposed to just attacking them through the media and with their their. 300 strong, with horses, some of them, there are two lots waiting on either side. It's just a use of the state using the state apparatus to attack our democratic right. That's what this is. They, they do not support any protest, as you put it, Chloe. Our right to protest is being attacked. Yeah. Our democratic right is being attacked. That's what this is. And the message of our rally has not gone out into mainstream media That's anywhere. Right. Yeah. So, as I said, I thought it was, very, it was quite clever and sophisticated the way that we had a proactive, this is what racism is and this is what we think we can do about it. It's it's to, it's a it's a healing thing for the community. What with the, our demands, let's you know get this sorted. That message has been totally ignored, and what we've got instead is all this. Um, it is fear mongering, and it's it's um, you know don't don't go on the don't go and organise anything because the media is just going to attack you. Okay. On that note, we'll wind up this discussion. Thank you, Chloe, for coming in. Thank you. I'd just like to say happy Thanks. birthday to FreeCR, 40 years of the best station in Melbourne. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, That's thank great. You. And we need it. We, yeah. And the radiothon's coming up exactly. next week. And I hope um, listeners would donate generously to keep this radio on air. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having well, me. If you have just tuned in, you're on 3CR. You're listening to Friday Breakfast. And this is also the Green Left Weekly Radio. 
we are waiting for a um, um, connection to another interview soon. But in the meantime, we'll have more news for you. Indeed. Right. Yep. Well, in, um, this would be a very relevant story to talk about. This is um, happening kind of internationally, but um, and it's printed in the Green Left Weekly. In uh, Austra- Austria recently, um, Australia, Austria elected its um, president in um in, on May 20, um, the May 22nd, with the neoliberal green candidate Alexander Van der Berlin narrowly beating far-right Freedom Party um, O candidate Norbert Hofner with 50.3% of the vote. So, uh, uh, so long, long story short, while in, while in Australia fascists have... Uh, have been making uh, headlines on the uh, on the streets in Austria. Fascists have been de- uh, have, are, be, are being defeated in the, in the ballot box. Thankfully, yeah. unfortunately, oh, but a very narrow margin. A narrow, a narrow margin, indeed, indeed. And that's that's a reason to be concerned because um, the problem is there's a political gap between the traditional parties that um, do not respond to to people's needs Mm. and you've got um, right-wing agenda fascist groups that Mm. can appeal to Mm. working-class people. And the the particular case with uh, the Austrian Freedom Party is that he has actually... Uh, well, in the lead up to the election, but also in the last few years, it has actually organized and championed about, around some of the campaigns and issues, issues which the left, which the left should really be part of. I'm talking here about specifically the uh, the TTIP, which is like the European Free Trade Agreement that's been negotiated between Europe and the United States. Uh, now, uh, the Freedom Party has actually been one of the ones who helped to organize, you know, campaigns and actions against mm-hmm. it. Well, because there is, because, because there was basically no left, no real left party that was doing, that was doing the same. That's one, uh, that, 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 that's one thing. And yeah, as, as you said, as you said, Lali, it's been, um, the, none of the, none of the traditional political parties have been, uh, are having, are having yeah. a runoff in the, in the election. It was just yeah. the, Green, the Green Party. Well, Alexander Van der Beeren wasn't actually nominated by the Green Party, but no. he was supported by them. So, so him and the, um, and uh, uh, Nor- uh, Norbert Hofer. So the the the, the, the two untraditional candidates going going off against against each other. Well, the one thing about the FPOs, um, sometimes when we refer to the far right, um, there's sort there's kind of this discourse around like different levels degrees of extremism. And actually, the FPO are actually they actually come from a Nazi tradition. So that's really. Um, kind of ex- as extreme as it gets, um, because they're, um, and, um, in the article, it actually argues just that the rise of the extreme, um, right in Austria is, you know, part of a European trend, and it's like, you know, it's fueled by authoritarian solutions to the economic crisis, the acceptance of popularity of, of right-wing populists in the far right is on, in the rise in nearly all European countries, except for maybe Spain? The, uh, Spain, Ireland, um, uh, where else? Those that Greece. don't have yeah. UPF type organisations. Yeah. They don't have them at all. Yes. 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 The rest do. Scotland. England Scotland does. Well. Um, Greece does. Italy yeah. does. Scotland yeah. doesn't, though, thankfully. Uh, it's not a country yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, uh, the one thing about Scotland um, and um, Spain and what and Ireland, Ireland is there's actually you know strong Proper, left very strong very strong left alternatives because in this exactly. article it says um, you know that 
um, sorry, where is it here? There's something in the article that says, I just missed the part. Oh, basically it says that the struggle against the right can only be won if the left provides credible social and democratic alternatives. Exactly right. Exactly, yeah. And not, and not allow the FPO to actually, not allow um, far-right organisations like, like the FPO to uh, take control of hijacked campaigns, which should really be waged by the left, the, by left organisations, like, like what I, what I, said, what I mentioned yeah, about the TTI, TTIP. That, that's what worries yeah. me here, because you've got the T, uh, TPP yes. being discussed and possibly signed, but they, they have a bit of a hurdle because um, in the US there's a, a movement against the, the TPP as mm, well, because how it yeah. affects American people. But more than that here, we don't have uh, a left organisation that's offering alternative in a, in a big way mm. to people. Nothing Sources Alliance is, is trying. Yes, um, yes. And we know that they are standing, and I have to make an admission or, or mm-hmm. revelation that I'm a Senate candidate for the Sources Alliance. Yes. <laughs> yes. And um, we recognise the dangers of not having an alternative for people who want and are looking for an alternative. Yes. And I think it's important to... to Understand the political point that if you if if you do not provide a vehicle for people to um, organize their um, protest and their needs, they will turn to where um, they get some answers at least. Exactly. Yeah. And then, yeah. and when, if the right can provide it in whichever way form, I know that some Aboriginal people support the UF, UPF, mm-hmm. and the reason they they support the UPF is they say because they don't want foreigners to come and take the land. Mm, mm. And we want Australia for Australians. So that slogan, it's almost like, you know, a pseudo um, a slogan to uh, misrepresent sovereignty. So they, right. they, they relate to it, you know, because no other mainstream party is supporting them in their quest. That's a problem. So it's, it's relevant to um, Australia very much because of, the way our government is heading, it's, it is um, heading more and more to the right. Of course. And there's um, all this propaganda about the Greens as well, which is a bit of a pity, but that's um, something I don't particularly want to discuss here because there's a lot of confusion around the issue, although they have come out with some very good policies. Exactly. And, we, and there's, there's a wonderful candidate standing in Greenler in, in Sydney, Jim Casey. Who, who, the Murdoch, who the Murdoch media seems to be desperate to keep keep out, keep out of Parliament, especially especially even running a a, a full on front page saying "Save Elbow," <laughs> save yes. our elbow. Oh God, <laughs> uh, pathetic. Yes, but yeah. So, um, any other news, guys, before we go on to the interview? Um, well, the a lot. As, well, as a lot of news. Um, <laughs> I have. Well, um, just so I can go, just briefly talk about a quick protest that happened. Um, um, basically, hundreds of um, people, you know, lined. Up, this is a, a direct action in, in the environment. Basically, hundred pe- hundreds of people lined the shores and hands across the sea events across Australia, uh, across southern Australia, not Australia, on May 21 to, um, to essentially protest um, BP's, plan- BP's plans to drill for oil in the pristine waters of the Great Australian Blight. You know, hands are used to symbolise a barrier to oil hitting our shores. Similar events were held around the world to raise awareness of the risks posed by the offshore and gas industry. Um, for sort of like a bit of history, um, hands across the sand started in the United States after BP caused the biggest oil spill incident in 2010 when 800 metres of oil spilled into the Gulf of Mexico over 
87 days, killing millions of fishes and seabirds, 600,000 to 800,000 coastal birds and an estimated 75,000 dolphins in well and destroying thousands of people's supplies now. So and I think we, you know, um, there's a lot of details in there as well. And so now it's a very comprehensive article. Yep. So people who want more details can go to Green Left Weekly on the web and they will find all the details. And we encourage people to subscribe. Yep. We have Paul Duffel on the phone. Um, and he's from the Australian Palestinian Advocacy Network. And if you've just tuned in, you're th- listening to 3CR 855 on your AM dial. So let's go to a poll and have a chat about and get an update about Palestine and also what this organization is doing, how it's intervening in the current elections. Thank you for having Good morning, Paul. Hello, are you there, Paul? Thank you very much. Oh, very good, very good. How's, how's it going this morning? I hope the weather isn't too much fresher in Melbourne compared to Sydney here. <laughs> I tell you, no. sound like you're from New Zealand, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Tracy Good to have you. It's cold. It's winter here, <laughs> although it gets sunny during the day. We're losing you, Paul. Is, is, your, is your phone okay? We, it, it's going in and out. We can only get every second word there. Ah, right, right, okay. Do you want to get closer um, or...? Maybe step out, you know, a little bit out of where you are. Or shall we ring you back? Is that better than later? No, it isn't. Let's go to a track. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just, no, no worries. I'll just duck out of the office here. That's right. better. You sound, you sound, you sound better. Oh, there we go. All right. Okay. Uh, Perfect. That's much better. Okay. Thanks for that, Paul. And welcome to 3CR. And it's good to have you. Um, and I know you've got your, your organization, the Australian Palestinian Advocacy Network, has a specific campaign during this election time. I wonder if you want to talk to it and maybe give us an update about the ongoing battles of poor Palestinian people. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Lalita. Yeah. So I work with the Australia Palestine Advocacy Network. We're an umbrella group for a range of Palestine solidarity groups in Australia. So we've got among our members unions, faith groups, humanitarian aid organisations, peace groups and, of course, Palestinian community organisations. So we're working to promote a balanced Australian foreign policy towards Israel and Palestine. And we do that through, right now, we're running a campaign called I Vote Palestine. And we're encouraging politicians to sign up to a common-sense pledge. We're encouraging all the candidates to sign up to a common-sense pledge in support of basic human rights and international law in Israel and Palestine. Mm. And um, what form has this campaign taken? I noticed you had some stickers around when I came down to the conference in Sydney. Yes, that's right. Um, So we've got an online campaign. Our online campaign is I Vote Palestine, all one word, ivotepalestine.org.au ivotepalestine.org.au and it just takes 30 seconds people just can can go on there and um, just fill in your residential address and you'll find out the wonderful colourful plethora of candidates for your local seat and then we're asking the candidates to sign a pledge there and um, so so once you've filled in your residential address you can just, just fill in your name and your email address and then check out the pledge and then hit send and then it will send a message to all of your candidates in your local seats and your Senate candidates as well. So we just want to make it really easy for people to get involved and to let their candidates know that they support Palestine, they support basic human rights, and they vote. 
And um, have any um, has have you had any sort of politicians um, sign up to this pledge at, at this point in time? Yeah, so we're keeping a running tally on our website actually, so people can people can check that out and have a look. And um, we've had we've had a lot of Greens candidates sign up, and then we've also had some members from the ALP as well. Mm. Some of the candidates from the Labor Party as well. So that so that's great news. And um, we're also recording the sort of responses that we're getting from candidates who are unfortunately unwilling to support basic human rights in Israel and Palestine. Um, and we think it's a really important record to show the uh, different parties going on the public record and to show their policies and to so that candidates can be really explicit about whether they support human rights in Palestine or whether they don't. Mm. I can guarantee the Sources Alliance candidates will be signing up. The, the nominations. <laughs> it's probably the only the, on, the only uh, party in Australia which has consistently signed up and supported uh, Palestine every single election. Yes, and we've Last. been campaigning to support the Palestinians for what decades now. <clears throat> so, Paul. Yeah, let's and, I, and I see we've got. Uh, yeah, I, I see we've got Zane Zane Alcorn, who yeah, yes. I've been chatting with you guys as well to set up this interview actually. So, um, and I see he's signed on to the pledge as well. Yep. And so, um, yeah, it would be wonderful to see other socialist alliance candidates and of course other. Greens candidates, Labor candidates, Liberal candidates, and other candidates sign up for the pledge. Yeah, how do you think that will translate into reality? Because up to now, the, the 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 foreign minister for Australia and I guess the Liberal government has, for decades, and even the ALP for decades, have, have voted in favour of Israel with the US at every UN meeting. Well, what we're finding, and this is a big goal of APAN, is that there's a massive democracy gap in how Australia deals with Israel-Palestine. So if you look at the, the, the most recent polling carried out by respected pollsters Roy Morgan, 50, 57%, mm-hmm. 57% of Australians want our government to recognise Palestine at the UN, and only 43% of people <coughs> said that Israel's... Oh, sorry, only 25% of people said that Israel's 2014 assault on Gaza was justifiable. Only 25%. I got that number wrong because it's such a low number. Mm, mm. Mm-hmm. So there's very little support for Israel's violence and human rights abuses against Palestinians in Australia, even if we're just talking about in Australia. Mm. Now, the reason why I say there's a massive democracy gap is because as there's been growing support for basic human rights in Palestine within Australia, we've actually seen growing opposition to basic human rights in Australia from the Australian government. So the government and the people's opinions and education in Australia are unfortunately moving in opposite directions. So, for example, and most people don't know this, unfortunately, over the last 10 years, over $2 billion of Australians' taxpayers' money, that's that's my money, your money, listers' tax money, over $2 billion has been spent in contracts funding Israeli arms companies. $2 billion. And these are exactly the same arms companies, same Israeli arms companies that are actively involved in promoting violence and actively involved in human rights abuses against Palestinians. Hmm. So the principal arms company that's received the bulk of Australian funding is a company called Albert Systems. And you might remember there's a member of the Labor Party, member of a group called the uh, Australia Labor Dialogue, I think it is, called Mary Easton, and she was recently outed in the Australian, no less, for being a lobbyist for Albert Systems. Hmm. And she lost very, very hard. 
her and her pro-Israel colleagues to make sure that to try and block the New South Wales State Labor Conference from passing and passing a motion withdrawing support from Israel's illegal settlements. So she wanted, and she was lobbying hard, her and her colleagues, for Australia to continue to support Israel's illegal settlements. Yes. So that's sort of that's sort of part of the elements. And when we're talking about there's the massive democracy gap in Australia regarding Israel-Palestine. And, of course, we've seen lots of comments in support of Israel's policies and, you know, support of Israel's so-called values from the current coalition government. So that, that democracy gap, that's what APAN is working to bridge through our campaign. Mm. And you have branches all over Australia, haven't you? Yes, so we've got member organisations. We've got over 30 member organisations and all the major centres in Australia. Yep. And, yeah, our members include unions, faith groups, humanitarian aid organisations, peace groups, and, of course, Palestinian community organisations. Hmm. And um, what, what sort of relationship is there between the uh, between APEN and the boycott, divestment and sanctions uh, campaign that's been going on well, in Australia and in the world internationally? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a nuanced issue, like a lot of these a lot of these complex issues. Eh? So, you know, my own approach is that when we're approaching complex, difficult issues like Israel-Palestine, we first need to focus on what we can control. What can we control? Rather than you know standing around pointing the finger at other people, telling other people what to do, let's start, first start with our own behaviour and what we can control. So, as I mentioned, you know, as a community in Australia, over the last ten years, over two billion dollars of Australian taxpayers' money has been spent funding Israeli arms companies, mm. Israeli arms companies that are actively involved in violence and abuses against Palestinian people, Palestinian men, women and children. So the first question we need to ask when we're talking about something like boycott recent sanctions, because the essence of any boycott is about withdrawing support. So the first question we need to ask is how much support is Australia providing for violence in Israel and Palestine? Mm. Now, from what we can tell, there's no government, Australian government support provided to violence by the Palestinian groups, by um, Hamas, for example. However, as I mentioned, over the last 10 years, over $2 billion of funding has been given to Israeli groups, Israeli arms companies that are actively involved in the violence. Mm -hmm. So what APEN did last year in our AGM is we passed a motion calling for boycotts, divestment and sanctions against Israeli and international organisations as well, Israeli and international organisations that are actively involved in human rights abuses. So that's a policy that APAN's passed and something that is strongly supported by our membership because really our membership doesn't want Australia to be involved in making the situation worse. And unfortunately right now, with both the Labour Party and the coalition, coalition governments having provided this massive funding to these Israeli arms companies. That is the concern that the Israeli government, sorry, that the Australian government's influence may actually be making the situation worse. And so we want to try and address that in Australia. I kind of, um, you've kind of been talking about this morning, but I kind of want to ask this sort of specifically. This is a specific question about um, Australian-Palestine um, advocacy network. What are kind of the sort of specific kind of political demands that your campaign around the end or um, kind of demands that you're kind of lobbying politicians with? So we're asking all the candidates to sign a pledge. 
in support of basic human rights and international law. And this is actually, this is, this is the online campaign that I mentioned before, the ivotepalestine.org.au. And the pledge says, is asking the candidates to, to commit to unequivocally supporting the equal rights of Palestinians and Israelis, to live in peace within internationally recognised borders in accordance with relevant UN resolutions, international and humanitarian law. So that's the first thing that we're asking politicians to commit to, is to commit to following Australia's obligations under UN resolutions and international and humanitarian law and commit to supporting both Palestinians and Israelis to live in peace and safety and security within internationally recognised borders. So that's the first thing we're asking. The second thing we're asking candidates to commit to is if they travel to the region, the candidate will spend equal time observing the facts on the ground and listening to Palestinian voices as well as Israeli voices. So this spending equal time in Israel and Palestine, this has been a critical issue and this really came up really strongly during the recent New South Wales State uh, Labour Conference. And of course this is something that Mary Eason, you know, the lobbyist for Albert Systems, was fighting very hard against and working very hard to try and push this back. Because, you know, the concern is that organisations like Albert Systems do not want Australian candidates and Australian lawmakers to see the conditions on the ground because then the candidates and the lawmakers may start to understand what is the impact of this massive funding of Australian taxpayers' money to Israeli arms companies like Albert Systems. So that's the second ask that we've got about spending equal time in Israel and Palestine. The, second, uh, the, the third ask is that we're asking them to agree to recognise the state of Palestine. And the fourth ask is that we're asking the candidates to support non-violent activities that will help achieve these goals and provide hope for a just and peaceful resolution. So those are the four asks that we're asking the politicians to commit to, the candidates to commit to. I have just one last question. Um, just, I'm just sort of, um, cause there's a big kind of debate in sort of, um, palette, you know, sort of palette activism, um, in sort of around Palestine about, you know, what, what, um, from my understanding, you, um, it seems you, well, I'll just ask this clearly, um, um, in, within your organisation, um, do you advocate for a two-state solution or a one-state solution? But just from my understanding, it seems you're advocating for a two-state um, solution. Well, APAN's quite unique in amongst Western organisations involved in this conflict. And it's unique for one of the reasons because APAN does not seek to impose a narrow out, final outcome on the Israelis and the Palestinians. So we're an organisation in Australia and we don't see it as our role to impose a final solution on the Israelis and the Palestinians. And we know that history is listed, right, with examples of organisations, particularly Western organisations, flying in and thinking, okay, we're going to help out these poor locals, we've got a simple solution, we're going to impose it, and once we've imposed that wonderful simple solution, everything will be fine. So what APAN is concerned about is promoting the conditions for a just peace and human rights to arise in Israel and Palestine. So it's about process, and that process is very, very important. Because part of my background is I, I work as a researcher in peace and conflict studies, and 
one of my areas of research is what are the necessary conditions for effective dialogue and negotiation. And when we survey the 60 years of research in terms of what creates conditions for effective, successful dialogue and negotiation and peace, right, which all the parties have said they want and which so many people in Australia want, there's one condition that stands out loud and clear. And that condition is equal status and equal power. Equal status and equal power. So the importance with APAN's work, one of the things that we're doing is we're helping to encourage the Australian government and empower people in Australia for Australia to play a constructive role in bringing about that equal power and equal status so that sustainable peace and justice can emerge for all Palestinians and Israelis. So we're not there to impose it should be one state or two states or 20 states. That's not our role. We're not going to sit, sit there and tell the Israelis or the Palestinians that one state or two states is better for all of them. The critical thing is that Israelis and Palestinians can come together and sign a peace agreement together with themselves that they agree on that's going to be sustainable, that has support from the local community in Israel and Palestine. Oh. And that's what APAN <coughs> would that's an, a, a fantastic agenda to work to, um, and we'll end um, the interview there. Paul, thank you so much for being available, and that was an amazing roundup of, of um, the, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict and the source of a lot of violence in the Middle East. And thank you so much. Yep, thank you very much. And I will certainly be signing the pledge. Thank you very much, Malika. <laughs> okay, bye, Paul. Very much. Cool. And, and if people want to find out more, they can go to apan.org.au. Yep. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Um, if you just tuned in, you are listening to the tail end of um, Green Left Weekly Radio. I'm just going to play a quick sting that Zane likes. Green Left Radio. <laughs> Thanks, Zane, for that. Okay. Now we go to um, the activist calendar. Yes. Put out by Green Left Weekly, so you can know what's happening. All right, so on the activist calendar today, um, tomorrow um, we have the launch of Social Science saying Alcorn for Wills campaign. Um, what? And the Senate, Senate candidates, too. And the Senate candidates, too. Which, which is me, Alita Chalaya, and Tim Gooden. And Tim Gooden. Um, who is the um, Secretary of Trades Hall in Geelong. Yep. And uh, they, um, Tim and I are standing as um, the Senate candidates for um, Social Alliance. And um, uh, it will be <coughs> at the Antonia Cultural Centre, which is at 195 Sydney Road, Coburg, at 6.30pm. Yeah, it's at, actually in the, almost in the corner of Albion and Sydney Road. So everybody's welcome. Please come. It's about 7 o'clock, isn't it? Uh, 6.30, 6.30, yes. but probably, it'll probably start at 7. 6.30 is just the time. Yeah, I anyone who wishes to come and support us, please come. Um, and be what, food as well, by the way. What, um, the next thing that's happening in um, in response to sort of the um, the um, the um, sat, um, not really um, the suspension of Roswad, the um, the National Territory Education Union have actually organised a rally in support. Um, at, right at La Trobe University on the 9th of June. Um, it will be um, happening from 12.30 to 1.30 p.m. Um, on the 9th of June, and it will be at La Trobe University, David Myers Building, next to the bus loop. And where it is um, National Territory Education Union are saying it's open to, um, it's a rally that's going to be open to all staff and students of La Trobe, as well as supporters from other universities and the broader community. Really important rally to go to because it, it it's a fundamental breach of you. Our human rights really be able to have some free speech. Yep. Um, the next um, on <coughs> the um, on the 18th of June there'll be sort of there'll be two events. Um, 
on from 1 p.m. at the State Library in Swanson Street, or um, 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 there'll be a World Refuge um, a rally, um, World Refugee Day, um, to, with the demands of close manners, close Nauru, bring them here, and it'll be org- that will be organised by um, Refugee Action Collective. Um, in in also happening on that night will be the Green Left Weekly Comedy Debate, which will be um, with the debate topic "Looking for the Messiah in All the Wrong Places." It'll be um, it'll be happening at 6:30 for a 8 p.m. start. With um, we'll have feature MC Rod Quantock with Quantock Quantock <coughs> with um, Kirsty um, Mac, um, Morvan Smith, um, and um, and Carlo Sands are some of the comedians that win. It will be um, tickets will cost. Um, $50 solidarity, $30 wage, $22 low wage, $12 concession, meal not included. And you can book at um, Shrive Bookings or phone 96398622. It'll be at the Brunswick Town Hall, which is at the corner of Sydney Road and Dawson Street, and it'll be a fundraiser for Green Left Weekly. Yes, support Green Left Weekly. We're on the new show and... So the Alliance action campaigns coming through. Yep. <coughs> um, and also on the sem- Saturday, the 25th um, of June, uh, the International Bookshop will be having their bed, big, uh, sorry, big Red Book Fair, which will be selling, um, which will go be happening from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the New International Bookshop in Trades Hall. Um, they'll be selling, will be selling, uh, there'll be lots of um, sales of all, all sorts of books. And also on that same day, there'll be actually a rally for marriage equality organised by Equal Love at 1pm at the State Library. Okay. Yep. Okay, that's, that's it for the, the activist calendar. Okay. So is there any other news roundup you want to conclude with? Um, well, this is not really kind of like, I think we've kind of like, you know, um, gone all the big sort of news out of the way. So it's only going to be some small news items. But... Um, well, this is printed in the latest Green Left Weekly, um, but um, it's an article written, an article written by Mia Sanders and Bronte Scott. This was an article covering um, a sort of protest where students were demanding the editors um, at University of Sydney were demanding the names of the editors of the misogynist um, Wesley um, College journal, um, journal be named. Um, essentially, this um, I think it will, I do not know what it, um, what the, I think it was a student magazine, you know. Sort of um, pub- um, published in, um, you know, distributed in the university, but essentially it had um, it featured a very sort of disgusting kind of misogynist um, sort of section called the Rack Web, which was um, a spider diagram of inter-college campus hookups. So basically, oh it basically just told um, had like a diagram of which students have had sex with which students. <gasps> And it, oh it was complete. Um, what made this even worse was it um, was complete with the full names of students. Oh. So it had the full names. It was a whole privacy issue. It was opening up these, you know, women to be harassed. And of course, it referred to um, the woman in the um, in this diagram as biggest porn star or best ass. Oh my god! Um, so essentially, there was a campaign uh, in response to this. Um, uh, to you know, to release names of this um, of um, who who published this uh, and to hold them account. Um, it's um, according to you know it's this incident is like you know the many sort of um, of the one of the many of this kind of perverse culture of sexism and frat culture on campus. You know, according to the National Union of Students Talk About It survey, um, at least you know 86% of women on campus have experienced someone making sexual comments of noises. And 35% of women on campus have had unwanted contact in the way of groping or touching. Um, in, you know, as quoted by, um, 
um, this is, you know, this is a very alarming figure and it highlights the need for the university to take a proactive stance um, to prevent these incidents from happening. Um, and on sort of in terms of the, the future of the campaign, the, um, the next step, the campaign is to continue to put pressure on the college to release the names of the journal officers to fight for visible acceptable and responsive mechanisms for sexual harassment reports, creating consultation with students in college and on campus, and finally to ensure that all colleges receive mandatory sex and consent education from a third, third party. If you take them to court, you know, this is just appalling. How can you treat students in such a disrespectful way? And this is lecturers in the university who did this? Uh, we don't I, know. No, I think it was actually students. Because um, it, 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 it was a student magazine, as oh, far as my understanding. So it's other students. Um, and, uh, but, yeah, also, um, it's that the campaign is also being um, led by university. The campaign against this, not the actual journal itself, is being led by University of Sydney's um, Women's Collective and, you know, has widened um, non-autonomous network support. If we actually have... Listeners in Sydney here, um, you can um, find out more about the campaign by involving the UCIDS Women's Collective at UCIDWomensCollective at gmail.com. No, we can offer support. I mean, just because in Sydney doesn't mean that we don't talk about it. I think it's important. And yep. It's like, you know, the, the anti-racism rally said, oh, racism doesn't exist. Just because one person does hasn't experienced mm. racism doesn't mean that it doesn't exist as a, one of the, the perverse... Uh, um, I guess features in this society and sexism is, is just as bad mm. and this is a, a reflection of where our society is today the fact that they were even allowed to publish that in the magazine mm. it, it speaks volume about the university that would allow that if mm. there's any, any um, supervision by the, the university about what mm. students publish there has to be rules we mm. all are comply to rules mm. of, in the media we all have rules we've got to comply yep. by and that is I'm, sh- I'm sure it's, it's somewhere along the line that you should find out if it's a, a breach of a law. Yeah. Um, and uh, actually, more broadly, actually, in, um, in across the University of Australia, there's actually a kind of big sort of campaign actually being sort of... It's being sort of conducted by the universities, actually, in response to some of the research that I actually um, mentioned in the previous article, but they've been doing... Um, in universities such as Victoria University, for example, they've been doing um, film screenings of... Um, the Hunting Ground, mm. which is a documentary about um, sexual assault on campus and mm. how students um, at those universities organised against it um, to counter that um, sexism. Okay. All right. We need to wrap up. And let's um, thank Peter Rotimer, who woke up very early in the morning to talk to us. Um, and, of course, Paul Duffel, who, from Sydney, uh, the, or one of the organisers of the Australian-Palestine Advocacy Network. And, and Chloe. most of all... Chloe, Chloe Beaton. who woke up while he said, come in to talk to us about the anti-racism rally. And this is goodbye from, um, Dennis has already left because he's got to go to uni. Yep. And goodbye from me, Jacob. Yes. And, um, uh, and hope everyone has a great day at work. Yes. And this is Lalita Chela saying. And enjoy the weekend, goodbye. darling. Yes. Have a good weekend. <laughs>